0: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the offense with our friend James Ogden. James, how are you doing? Good thanks, Ken. All right. Outstanding first show there. And and uh uh if you guys did not download that, go back and do it. James is fantastic and he had all kinds of interesting points to make. Great discussion. And uh, you know, this is this is one of the guests that I really look forward to and enjoy every time he can he can uh he can make it on the show. Uh he's uh up burning the midnight oil? Well, not really. It's nine ten at night there, so it's it's, uh, it's not that late yet. But uh, but he's in England and uh, has World Cup considerations that he's that we're competing against. And we appreciate him being here. James, tell folks where they can talk football with you online.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, at NFL Ogden on Twitter. You can find me on Russell Street Report each week with my uh, weekly preview articles, game game uh, battle plans, and also on Red Star Baltimore, which is my own site, uh, where you'll find my draft guide uh, each year to the, the uh, prospects coming out of the draft and how they fit with the Ravens.
2: Highly recommend that draft guide, folks. I, I got to take a look at it after some prodding. The last time James was on, it's, it's outstanding. Just some great stuff in there. You, you really want to take a look at that if you have time. Uh, we need to note our sponsor, a liquid death, the water that will murder your thirst. Uh, they've been good to us. Please give their product a try. They have a environmental pitch that I think is, is, uh, is a good one that they sell in aluminum cans as opposed to plastic bottles. They're much more recyclable because if a recycler cannot make money on your plastic bottle, it will end up in a landfill. So go for the green, perhaps give it a try for the green or because you like our show, and stay for the flavors once you get there. Appreciate them. Uh, they've been good to us. want to get maybe into some offensive line discussion here first. Is that OK, James? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So uh, it's a good, good overall game for the offensive line. We talked a little bit about this on the first show because you can't talk about the offense without talking about the offensive line some – uh, we're talking about the individual performances here. Generally speaking, I think play was pretty good, uh, but it was mixed. Uh, some up and down. Uh, the, the, the run blocking at times was not as at the highest level it's been. The pass blocking at times was not at the highest level it's ever been. Uh, but there were individual highlights of of, of both in this game.
3: Yeah. uh, Sorry. I would, I would agree, Ken. Yeah. I think, um, I think the the run blocking, especially it was sort of a bit disappointed with, we can attribute some of that to, I think the, the Panthers play, which we talked about in part one, but I definitely thought there was some elements of the the run blocking that was, was disappointing in this game. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that.
2: Yeah. A lot of the run results, you know, were muted by the weather and the fact that the Panthers were able to play so aggressively at the line of scrimmage and stop the run, spread the line, uh, do some of the things they did that, that were effective there, uh, play more man coverage in the secondary uh, and, uh, and and take chances with Lamar beating them deep on deep on throws. You made a good point in the first one. Yeah. You know, if they're going to do it, do it. The, the they, Ravens really never beat them deep. They're not, not for more than a couple of plays. And a couple of the big ones were actually, they were yak plays, right? The the 31 yarder to Robinson was a yak play and the, there was a 23 yarder and, the one that that you mentioned just at the close of the first show was the was the Ricard wheel route, which could have been a great play, but uh, ended up being dropped and there being a penalty. Yeah, I think um, that that it'll be really interesting to see if that.
3: I mean, obviously the the elements played a played a role there, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if that starts to play itself out. You know, the Ravens do need to to find some kind of deep passing game, um, otherwise there'll be other teams that make that bet. That they that they can't um, and will 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 have a much more effective defense than they would have ordinarily had um, if the Ravens could have could have found that.
2: Yeah, that's a very valid point. And I, while I'm very bullish on the Ravens for the rest of the season, uh, I, you know it, they can't take their opponents for granted, and and almost every team that they face the rest of the way will still be better than the Carolina Panthers in terms of what they present the Ravens in terms of challenges. Absolutely. All right, so we go to jump into Ronnie Stanley here
3: yeah ronnie stanley sort of like the the i suppose the injury was was the story a little bit here but what what did you what did you make before the before the injury
2: so four, 45 snaps uh two and a half pressures uh allowed uh i i, I have a remind people of this every every show once at least that you know i use a three second standard instead of a two and a half i also have a very protective of the throwing cone for the quarterback so when a uh, pass rusher uh, uh, imperils that cone. The lineman who has him assigned as the assignment, uh, he will, will pick up a pressure from that. Uh, he had, that was his only negative scores though. Uh, he, I he didn't have any negative run play. He had some, you know, he, he wasn't perfect in terms of his run blocks. He didn't get, he push. I didn't think, in this game. Uh, much more of a finesse run game performance from Ronnie Stanley. He had five level two blocks, one on one on pulls. Um, you know, the only thing I'll, I'll, I think I'll point to here in this game, and it's not a big criticism because his overall game was very good, was that I don't think he's really engaging at the level he could on the run. He's more of a trying, he often tries to manipulate an edge rusher to run himself out of position on the play. Stanley is one of the best you'll see at doing it. He mirrors into what you know can look like a true pass set and uh and and can fan that you know defender often and then it turns out to be a run, and uh you know he's just smiling about uh, about having manipulated that guy, but uh you know in, in this game, I would have liked a little more striking, i would have liked a little more engagement, i would have liked a little more push
3: yeah i think I think that's been a little bit of a thing since he came back um for me it's not he he's yeah i think he's playing he's playing within himself a little more in the running game in the run game i think. Uh, and maybe that will come back with a sort of hit. He, he was obviously, he was never a road grader. That was never, not mm-hmm. really his game. But maybe some of, some more of the the kind of what we're looking for there will, will come back with a bit more confidence, a bit more time removed from the injury. But I agree with you. He's definitely doing it. He's getting, he's definitely winning in a slightly different way than he used to. Um, but yeah, that, that, that sort of move that he has, I think the, where he's, he sort of baits them into a, into a pass rush, it's why actually. But the um, you know they, the Ravens really struggled with the screen game, which would have been a really great way to sort of slow down some of the the aggressiveness of that Panthers defense. But they they always struggle with the screen game. They obviously turned to some draws towards the towards into the second right. half, and they started to be very successful. And one of those one of the reasons for that is the way the way Stanley plays those, uh, which is just masterful.
2: Yeah, uh, you know that's a great point. And you know the, the Ravens in general do well when a run play takes time to develop. Honestly, just the same way they do well when a pass play takes time to develop. An extended pass play is usually going to be a good thing for Lamar. An extended run play is usually going to be good. And it makes you, if they, if this team had a young Le'Veon Bell running for it. You know, a guy who was just a very patient kind of a spider. And they had an old Le'Veon Bell you know, last year. So that's not the guy we want. We want the young right Bell who was patient as hell. I just think he could be extraordinarily effective for this team in terms of finding this. But delaying the actual handoff, also very effective. And, you know, then getting going with, uh, with Hill. And I think pretty much all the draws were to Hill. There might have been one yeah. to Drake, but... Uh, They were, because I do think this, this offense
3: um, is, is
2: tough for, it's tough on running
3: backs and it does take some time in the scheme to be able to get to the point where you're able to, to be patient and understand how those blocks are going to develop. And Kenyon Drake has shown flashes of it and we saw it against the saints. He's, he's starting to get it, but we also saw in this game how complex this rush offense can be and how quickly you can just go backwards in in that, in that regard, just as Hill's been in the system a lot longer and, uh, just looked like a guy who's been in the system a lot longer um, this week than than um, the Kenyan Drake. I think it's a it's a you know it's a big it's a big thing for the Ravens the, the the running back. Understanding a scheme is is a really big thing for a running back. Understanding how to how to take advantage of a scheme and it can take some time. And, and Dobbins has actually spoken about it at length of, from his time at Ohio State, where he he really struggled when he first um, when he first got to Ohio State. With the way that the that the that the run that ran the ball, and it took him a, a year or two to get it. Um, hmm. So I think that's that's sort of a a thing for this for this Ravens offense, and and Drake will continue to 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 get better, I think, in that regard. But it's definitely something that to to keep an eye on in terms of the running game. I think.
2: Yeah, that's that's nice to have something to look forward to for Kenyon Drake, and I'm not saying he's been bad. He's certainly been you know a, a, a good bell cow for the Ravens while they haven't had other bell cows. But uh, he to have something at his age that you can still look forward to is unusual for a running back. Usually, you know, you've peaked at this point in in your career. You 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 hope to have not lost too much from your peak. But pretty much all twenty eight year old running backs have lost something from their peak. Uh, and and uh, you know you hope you can you can still play reasonably well. The other point you made though I thought was was very important for for Dobbins and for uh, Hill as well. Is we talked about this during the first session a little bit was that um you know those offensive linemen are running the same scheme so they're reading the same keys they're making their blocks the same way and those offensive players really have to understand and have to trust how that's being laid out in front of them in order to follow box properly and I think hill has shown a, a, a you know a really good ability to f- to figure out where the soft spot is on a particular blocking scheme and that's maybe why he's getting more of these uh opportunities drake also has had some games where he's basically been untouched uh from from a lot for a lot of distance offline scrimmage i thought in particular the giants game giants game yeah that's the one he had like 10 for 119 or something uh you know that 30 yard touchdown run the the first guy to touch him i i I joke in this but i think this might be true is is bradley bozeman the pulling guard congratulating him in the end zone that's the kind of run you want, you know, a perfectly blocked run, perfectly executed by the running back to to exploit that. It's when when running backs try and freelance and go against the system. It's not necessarily all bad, but you just you're making a wager when you do that, and you need to you need to be right a high percentage of the time.
3: Absolutely. Should move on to We will we will yeah. just a
2: second a minus for Stanley. I thought uh, you know a, a, overall a very good game. Unfortunately, he's only in for forty five snaps. His replacement? Yeah, so I'm Patrick Patrick McCary, not as good. Um, 20 snaps at left tackle relief, which is the bare minimum you need for a grade. Uh, he had one penetration allowed. He actually went to level two and tried to block somebody that then came in and took the running back down for a loss. So that was unfortunate. Um, he allowed a straight-up sack to, I believe it was Burns, but I may have the number wrong. It may have been one of the other guys. Uh, no, beat him outside by, by, it was uh gross Matos. Yeah. Okay. Beat, him, beat him outside for a quick uh sack, so you know. Obviously, in twenty plays, your grade is not going to be good coming off that. He did have two missed blocks, made three blocks in level two. So the one missed block in level two was a, was a shame, but he he still is generally uh, quick enough to get to level two and do the things he needs to do. That you would expect that as basically a guy who's an interior offensive lineman being able to get to level two effectively it was one of one on his polls. Uh, eight out of twenty points total, which is an F. Uh, you know, even after adjustment, uh, he's only up to point forty five. Uh, as I scored it. so uh, a, a, a shame, and hopefully he can play a little better as he gets more snaps in these next few weeks because the Ravens will need him too.
3: Yeah, this might uh, this uh, so uh, granted this is not verified. It would probably be actually uh, useful to uh, to look back to your grades on this. but uh, i I feel as though he has not been as effective when he's come in cold into games. Hmm. Um, I think he's been more effective. When he's had a full game and he's sort of thinking about that, but I, I, that could be wrong. That could just be my feel for it, and he might and I might be letting him off the hook a little bit. There.
2: Br- bringing bringing that up directly on my screen here. So he started the Miami game, I believe. I believe he may not have started any other game because he's
3: no, he hasn't. I'm thinking back to last year a little bit okay. I think, with, Fair with a lot of his starts as well. Well, the so, Miami
2: yeah. game, he had a C. And, and that's one of his better grades of, of the year so far. But he said an AF an, against Cincinnati in 38 snaps. And again, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether he was playing relief or not in that game, because
3: now he, no, that was the, he started the swap. How oh, did he start?
2: No, I'm sorry. He, he, it was swapping he, with Stanley. Yes. Yeah. 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 That was first game back. So he got an F in that game, a C plus against the giants An F against Cleveland. And then he had some other games where he wasn't terrible or anything, including a 16 out of 16 against Tampa. In relief, that was that was good again. More swapping, and then against Carolina and F this time. So mixed bag. I think for me that it's the thing about
3: the way his game is. I think it makes it makes sense if that is the case, um, because the way the way he succeeds, you know, he he's not the the greatest physical specimen um as an offensive tackle the way he wins is is actually with his is with his brain believe it or not on the offensive mm-hmm. line for people who who don't um, know as much about offensive line play it is processing where is the way he yeah. wins he understands a rush plan he knows how to neutralize it and he gets he gets into a rhythm with that he kind of understands it when he knows who he's facing down in down out it's just it's a, it's a different deal for him i think when he has a when he has a full game to go at an opponent
2: yeah, I, I, that's a great point that we don't make often enough, but I certainly hope there are not a lot of listeners to this show who've been here for offensive line play and, and talked about it, who don't really understand just how cerebral a, a a game it is and really having to, you know, understand a very complex set of things you have to accomplish as an offensive lineman. And, and then, you know, the same way that a pass rusher has a pass rush plan you need to have a set of, of plans for, for how you defend against that. When do you punch? When do you go to the armpit? When do you latch on? You know, when your length is not good enough, how do you react and respond to to the to the other elements of that? So, uh, you know, it, it, both sides trying to figure each other out. And, and in a sense, the offensive lineman, since he has to be right a higher percentage of the time in order to be successful at the job, in a lot of ways has the harder job. For sure. All right. Let's move on to Ben Powers here. Um, Ben Powers, honestly, I think he's been playing outstanding football. Um, And I, I don't want to overstate how good his year has been because I don't think he's quite up there qualifying for the Pro Bowl or consideration. But if you're looking at two players in Powers and Linderbaum, I think Powers has significantly outplayed him. And part of it is that Linderbaum's a good run blocker and Powers is a good pass blocker. And pass blocking is the is the much more important discipline. Even if you're playing for the Baltimore Ravens, even if you're playing on a run heavy offense, there's just a lot more EPA uh, points points in play on passing plays. There's win probability that's greater on passing plays. Obviously, people understand third down is a passing down. You have to win those downs. That means you have to be a good pass blocker. They're just those things should kind of flow naturally to people. And I know we we, we you know part of Wanting our first-round draft picks to work out is f- celebrating the things that they're good about and and minimizing that the things that they're not bad about or, or saying that they're correctable um, as, you know, well, this was against the best player in the league or this was, you know, under other circumstances or he's a rookie and he'll learn that. And there's a whole bunch of that that's true, by the way. Offensive linemen do improve significantly. Uh, Powers right now is playing the best ball of his career. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's playing very well in year four and the Ravens are, are probably, you know, being going to be in a position to get a draft pick in return for him, uh, when he, when he leaves for free agency, if they, if they don't in fact decide that they, they want to sign him. But, uh, anyway, power specifically, uh, uh, he had allowed one full pressure in the game. It was his only negative score. He missed six blocks, was six of seven on poles, uh, two level, two blocks with no, no pancakes. He, like Linderbaum, had some difficulty with Derek Brown. Got him a fair amount in this game.
3: Yeah, so I'm I'm with you on Powers specifically. I I think his um, and I think we also need to understand the the ways in which Powers is um, so that for Linderbaum to be really good in the in the run game in his first year. And I think probably throughout his career the, the rooms will have to do this, but they are having to scheme different ways in w- in which to use him, which is very sensible because he's got he has a very unique skill set, especially in space, that you absolutely have to use and have, take advantage of. And so they have been doing that. But when they've been doing that, Ben Powers is the one who's doing the dirty work to allow him to do that. When they pull Linderbaum out, Powers is the guy who has to down block the nose or somebody else to allow Linderbaum to make those kinds of plays. And so he's doing a lot of the dirty work that's allowing this offensive line to function in the run game, even if he's not getting the kind of highlight, some of the highlight
2: blocks. That is a fantastic point. And, you know, because of who Linderbaum is – The Ravens derive more value of working off a combination block by having him be the climber to level two. The other teams know this, and they'll try and stop it, by the way, as well, by, you know, crossing Linderbaum's face and, you know, going three quarters on him and a quarter on Powers to make Powers be the guy that that climbs. But you you have, um, Linderbaum does something that does not help the lineman to his side as much as I would like. And, and it's one of my criticisms as a run blocker for him. And there's not much to criticize a blocker, but I think I, he came here and I, I said he needs to, one of the things he needs to do is resolve double teams quickly. I think he actually goes too far in that regard. And he almost gives away a chip rather than a hip-to-hip move on that guard next to him to set him up a little better for the back end of that uh, block. And we saw this with, with Matt Skura as well. Matt Skura at center was taking the back end a lot more on run plays. He graded very highly, you know, relatively speaking, relative to PFF. He graded better in my system, um, taking the back end of those one-on-one blocks. But it was Yanda or it was it was uh, uh, whoever was playing left guard that was doing a lot of the climbing and getting a, a level two block out of the situation. So it's just, it's just a great point, James. By
1: now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used liquid death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of liquid death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down liquid death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school maybe the carpool lane maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week just take liquid death enjoy it it's ice cold water you're gonna have a great time and fun go get liquid death at your local harris teeter or Seven Eleven, or find liquid death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquid com slash film study that's liquid death.com slash film study
3: yeah and i think that's the, the other thing with um with that, is it's kind of natural for Linderbaum, isn't it? It's kind of a like he knows what his strengths are, so he wants to get there and, and yep. showcase them as quickly as possible, which is get in space quickly. And it's funny actually because they, I, I think uh, Ben Cleveland has the opposite problem because uh, he's he's too he spends too long at the double team because he wants to absolutely destroy someone yep. um, at the line of scrimmage and takes too long to release to the second level. And so it'll be it's interesting for Linderbaum whether he can kind of. Um, adjust that as he goes as he goes through his career. There's no, no guarantee that he will, um, but it'll be interesting. It's definitely a, a point of development.
2: Let's let's talk a little bit more about powers because uh, he he did get Derek Brown a little bit in this game, so it's, it was not an easy, completely easy time for me. But he scored an A still uh, with just the one pressure and the six miss block. I gave him the same adjustment, uh, which was the highest I gave out um, to the three guys on the left side, uh, you know, the left tackle through center. Um, and 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 that involved Derek Brown and Brian Burns being most of the time on that side. So yeah, and uh, sorry, again uh, he
3: uh, and the other thing about him, I think uh, that that is worth saying is the Ravens. I think felt like he would be the the weak link on the offensive line, and often the offensive line as a unit is only as good as its weakest link. So if you if you, sometimes a a group of five with, that are all solid is better than a group of five a group of five who've got three outstanding one good and one awful, um, because you can attack that weak link. And that's the thing that's been so so great about Beb Bowers is that he's just been really solid to good in, in pass protection. Uh, they can absolutely rely on him to not be the weak link um, in that pass protection, in that pass protecting unit. And that's been so refreshing because it just... I, I, you know, I would not have handicapped it this way. I did not expect right. that this was going to be the case. I thought this was going to be a headache throughout the season, and it just hasn't been. And more credit to him for that. I, I really do like it, and the job he's done as it um,
2: developing himself. Completely agree. And and when you look at this team at the beginning of the year, you look at Linderbaum, who you know has the physical question marks that that came with him as as a as, you know, as a draft pick, and Powers, who. Uh, you know, had had a history of pass blocking that was spotty. Not, not, I mean, not terrible, but but spotty. And and you look at that that left a gap as being the biggest weakness the Ravens have got. You know, they're going to bring blitzes, they're going to they're going to stunt, they're going to do all kinds of things that will that will um, challenge those two guys to 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 be better pass blockers. And Powers has answered the bell. I mean, he has really done it in terms of 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 how he's done this year. PFF ranks him as the best pass blocker. At guard in the entire NFL right now. Now I don't I don't grade every team. I can only tell you that Powers is still allowing some pressures and more pressures than PFF gives him. A lot of that's the the, the difference in in uh, uh, you know difference in way I allocate pressures based on three seconds versus two and a half, etc. Don't need to get into that again. But I still think Powers had a terrific pass blocking year. It's very evident in terms of of. Uh, the scoring and I I couldn't be happier for the guy. I I I hope he gets paid off by someone at the end of this year. And and uh, you know, hopefully the Ravens at least get a draft pick out of it, even if they they can't be the team to keep him. Yeah, I would agree. A for powers in this game, by the way, highest rated lineman for the Ravens uh in this one. We'll move on to Linderbaum. Um, he's surrendered uh one and a half penetrations in this game and two pressures. So, you know, we're going to remember Linderbaum from this game for a few things. One is uh, he was blocking the guy who made the interception. OK, so that's a good bit. It was a shared with Zeitler. They both double teaming him at the time. He got up. He made a great play. Um, do I think that's really as bad as some other pressures that could be allowed? No, but it's it's uh, it's a very bad result, obviously, in terms of of what happened here. Normally, that ball would just be batted down. So I didn't I didn't. Uh, ascribe any extra points to that. It's just a, a plain shared pressure on that play. Uh, the, the bad snap uh, is more troublesome. And obviously the Ravens haven't had have had a, haven't had a lot of problems with bad snaps. Uh, the fact this was a cold weather game is is probably going to trigger some people who remember that Buffalo game and some of Patrick McCary's bad snaps in that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, he... Uh, I, I, by the way, that play, just so you know how I handle it scoring wise, I gave him a pressure, a full pressure on that play, um, for snapping the ball over the head of Lamar, which I think takes care of it. Now Lamar did a great job of scooping it. It probably should have ended up being a sack or it could have ended up being worse. in terms of a turnover and whatnot, um, but I thought it was probably fair just to call that a pressure on the play. And then he, I think he threw a ball to the right that was completed for negative yardage. Is that the, that the way that play ended up on the bad snap? Do you, do you have yes. a recollection of it? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we so we have that. Um, here is the worst thing about it, and this is where this game could have been a lot worse for him. He had six missed blocks in this game, which is a lot for a center. Not a terrible amount, but a lot. But here's what's really bad about it: every single one of them was a loss at the line of scrimmage to Derek Brown. Now. Derek Brown pushed him around a lot. He pushed him back into the pocket where he accumulated some zeros. He he was beating him in the process of beating him when some balls are out quickly where he would have gotten a zero on that. He had other plays on the run as well where he got pushed into the backfield. But normally a guy who misses some blocks will have a couple times where he moves to level two and and can't find a block or a couple times where he pulls and he can't find a block or other times where, where he didn't make a mistake at the line of scrimmage. In this case, it was really just a case of of he was not a physical match for Derek Brown in this game.
3: Yeah, I I, I think I would ag- I would agree with that. I think there were I, I would agree with that to an extent. I think I think there were some times when uh, he was certainly manhandled by, by Derek Brown and and because we talked a bit in in part one about the sort of the the pass some of the passes that I would give him a little bit in this game um, because of the the phenomenal player that Derek Brown is now and, and Lunderbaum now, the only thing I'd say is Lunderbaum has faced an absolute gauntlet of, of interior run defenders um, early on in his career. So it's not like he wasn't necessarily battle tested and prepared for this, but I, I, you know, I I think that the thing, the thing that most concerns me so far about Lunderbaum is um, that the, Ability to deal with stunts—that's the thing that that I think has stood out to me most on film. Um, there have been times when, like in this game with Dave Brown, where he's where he's been a where he's been a bit manhandled and that, that he's been thrown around a little bit. Uh, what I think on those though is that there have been times when he's done that, and there have been times when I've seen him recover throughout the course of the throughout the course of the snap and his recovery ability. Is I think the thing that I was most impressed with coming out of coming out yes. of Iowa, he got himself into trouble and he got himself out of it in increasingly remarkable ways um, throughout his time there, and that that is a, a high level trait for an offensive lineman that matches with some other really high level offensive lineman in the league. Um, uh, for um, Quentin Nelson, especially, is is very good at that.
1: Yeah,
3: I'm not saying he's Quentin Nelson. Good God, um, <laughs> but uh, I I think. It's a trait that can sometimes, like I, I, I think there are going to be some growing pains like this with games like this, and the proof will be in the pudding about whether he actually is able to to turn this into um into into a career where he's able to to do this consistently, where he's able to look like he's getting beat and then recover and be able to to win the rep. But I I, I see enough, I think, throughout the reps that I've seen from him. But I do agree this was one of his this was one of his poorer games.
2: The point you made is excellent about being able to recover. And it's one thing that he came with an incredible pedigree on, you know, ability to handle stunts, ability to handle blitzes was something you know, lightning quick coming out of Iowa was a guy that, that, you know, was supposed to be able to do that extremely well. I, I wouldn't, I probably would not be as hard on him in that area, but I would say that's the one area where he has unexpectedly underperformed by some amount and you know here's the, the things i expected i expected him to be great in space right off the bat and he is i expected yeah. him to be really great on stunts and and twists and i think he's just okay so i think there's growth there but but here's the thing i think that's correctable so i think yeah. that part yeah, of his game absolutely. is is gonna yeah. he's gonna be okay on but um the other thing is i i thoroughly expected him to have a lot of trouble with big men and I thought that that's where his money is going to be made in the NFL. Whether or not he makes it or not is going to be a function of whether he can find the the the, the set of tricks that do work at this level and separate out those from the ones that only worked at the college level yeah. to, to to deal with his lack of size and length um, in a way that's effective. That didn't happen in this game. Um, no. And and I, I you know if you look at other centers of his type. And Creed Humphrey is the most obvious one because his, his arms are only about half an inch longer. Um, he's a bigger guy. Creed Humphrey's a bigger guy, but Creed Humphrey came into the National Football League and dominated from day one. You see, so it can be done in terms of being, you know, physically limited in some ways. But the notion that Linderbaum uh, is is a um, immediate Pro Bowler this year. Or, or even that that it's obvious that he'll get there at some point. Um, I are, are kind of I think a little misguided. And definitely, there's 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 nothing about what he's played this year that tells me he could grow into being an all pro. I think he could grow into being a Pro Bowler at some point in the future. Okay, that's interesting. I
3: I think I think he's so I would I would slightly disagree, and I think I think his potential is a potential all pro. But like you, I also don't think it's. I don't think it's a given that he gets to being a pro bowler. Okay. Like I'm I, I I think there is there is development to be done for for sure. Like and I I I think the tools he has I think the tools he has are s- are so rare that that if he is able to um to get to the point where those those boxer tricks you talked about that he's able to to understand the the tricks that work in this in this league uh, I think he can the 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 rarefied air he has in terms of his ability in space will will get him to the to the very top of to the very top of his game. but it definitely comes with and this is the thing I think we've we've seen him. I think I've seen him be able to handle other other guys who are much bigger than him and talented um, to to a pretty good extent for for his for his rookie year. Uh, Derek Derrick Brown was a different was a different beast. Um not necessarily that he was particularly better, but he I think Derek Brown found the found the formula um to to really get to to sort of yeah. to give to give him trouble.
2: Yeah. I mean Derek Brown is he's honestly he's better than the other guys that they, certainly better than Vea but yeah. I think he's better than than Dexter Lawrence as well in the yeah. sense that his game is such a combination of power and finesse that he's yeah. just deadly. So I, 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 you know, I, I could understand the past, but here's what I like to do in this, in this sense. My system already accounts for you know, who the opponent is. What I want people to do is let's save all of the exceptions and why it's not that bad for the end of the discussion because we can always do that. So at, at, for, at least in terms of what happened in this game and in terms of what's happened so far this season, I don't want to talk about who he's played against until the end. I don't want to talk about, um, you know, the fact that he is a rookie until the end. You know, I I think you, you, you adjust for those then. And if we find out that he's played a particularly outrageous set of guys, which I think so far he's played a very tough group. But if by the end of the year, if we find that he's really played an outrageous set of guys, then sure, let's, let's let's adjust for it. I adjust for game for game. I think I'm being fair about it. But you know that might not be true. Maybe maybe my system does not allow for enough adjustment at center, in particularly to make up for how difficult these matchups were for any center. But let's. Let, I also want to look at the other side of that coin and saying if this was Jeremy Zuda coming to the Ravens as a fifth year player. We wouldn't be talking about a rookie. We wouldn't be talking about he's going to get there. We wouldn't be talking about any of that stuff. You know, Jeremy Zuda is just losing matchups, not able to anchor, getting pushed back, and you'd be pissed about it. And so it's fair to be pissed about it right now and still have hope in the guy's development, which I do. I really have hope that that he's going to be able to to make a move forward and, and be a better pass blocker than he's been so far in the National Football League.
3: Yeah, I get that. I think I think you I think we probably have a have a slight disagreement about how I I like how we feel that he's played up until this point. Um, so I, I I guess I am so I'm I come at it from the opposite angle of issue, So I'm looking at it from a player development type angle. Sure. I'm looking at it from a from a player evaluation type, thinking about his development and his potential. And I think so. I am looking immediately, but I, that's what I've been taught to do through my like through the development courses I've done. I am immediately looking at level of competition, at where he is in terms of his development, what he's being asked to do. So I am thinking about the curve a little more. So I'm possibly thinking about the kind of um yeah i'm thinking about the exceptions a little bit more um and so i'm thinking about what i think he could i'm thinking a lot more about what i think he could be and i so i know lots of people probably wouldn't do this but i would think about what jeremy zutar could be um if he was coming <laughs> in as a fifth round pick um so <laughs> i think that's probably the difference here is it, that that's interesting i i think for me he has i i for me, he's performed as I expected him to as a pass protector in his first year, um, and so the the proof is definitely in the pudding in terms of it, in his development. And we're not in disagreement there. I, I, you know, we need to see more from him as we go through the first and second year. I just think I, I think his ceiling is a lot higher, um, and so I'm I'm excited about the ceiling um, if he can get that stuff sorted, which he may not be able to.
2: Great way to put it. I mean, I, I the thing I'll say is that almost every Ravens drafted lineman has been developed here. The Ravens don't draft wide receivers well, but I, sorry, don't uh, develop wide receivers well. But they sure as hell develop offensive linemen well here, and and defensive linemen for that for that matter as well. They have a good record with. But if you look at the offensive line of the past and the guys who improved, and pe- it's people like Skura and Jensen. Well, I mean, those guys weren't great players as rookies. Jensen, you know, couldn't get on the field as a tackle, but, but you know, they hadn't figured out where they wanted to move him inside and eventually have him at center. I mean, they hadn't necessarily found their position. Linderbaum's been installed as a rookie, as a starter. That alone has a certain amount of gravitas and impressiveness to it. In fact, coming out of the draft, they said, well, Linderbaum's the starting center, so we got to find another place for McCary, you know, kind of thing. They're not even, they're not, they're not going to discuss the matter. You know, they're, they're, there's no point in discussing it. He's starting off that. Didn't, they didn't do the same thing for Orlando Brown. Even they had, you know, Hurst playing for seven games before Brown first got that right tackle job in 2018. So, uh, you know, the fact that Linderbob is playing is fantastic, and I do expect growth from him. It's just I am worried about the correctability of significant physical limitations, and so he's he's going to have to be so good at doing the other things well with his size and length limitations that he'll be, you know, is is going to have a hard time. I think we saw some of that in this game in terms of the way Derek Brown threw him to the field. I think we mentioned this in the first show, but I just want to point people out. Look at the second-to-last drive, the second play, and uh, take a look at what Derek Brown does to to, to Linderbaum on that play. That's not all of Linderbaum's grade from this game. Uh, He did happen to uh, grade a D in this game. But he was the beneficiary of one other play I need to make sure that gets mentioned. And by the way, I don't know if you know why this was, but they didn't charge a second sack on the first drive of the third quarter. Second and seven was a sack for minus one. And then on third and eight, Lamar dropped back to pass. Obviously designed pass play. It wasn't a designed run. Then he takes off on a scramble and gets the line of scrimmage and I think a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. Then he came back trying to, you know, make ground and got taken down for what ended up being a one yard loss. I would think that would go as a sack, but it only went as a run for minus one in that particular case.
3: The, the only thing I can think is, does it, does the, is there a, a, a switch flipped when yeah. they cross the line of scrimmage? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if- and it, yeah.
2: You know, it's it's one of those cases where the designation as a sack doesn't really mean that much in game terms or even in scoring. I mean, it doesn't it means something to somebody who's getting the, who would have gotten the sack on the play, obviously, but um, in terms of game terms, it doesn't matter whether it's an S minus one, S zero, or S plus one. Those are all equivalent, effectively failures on a third and eight play back in your own inside <laughs> your own ten yard line. So it doesn't matter whether it was what what you want to call it out of out of that group. Uh, it it did end up forcing a punt. And Linderbaum only got a minus one on that play instead of a minus three. So I want to point out there were some things that he was a beneficiary of in this game. D for the game. And and I, I, I kind of feel like I have the need to reiterate this because James, I, I, you know, I really respect your opinion on this and I really want Linderbaum to play well. No. I just feel like I have to be a moderating voice in a, in a crowd of people who want to celebrate every little thing this guy does in the run game well, which is a lot of things. It's a lot of things he does well in the run game. It's just pass blocking is more important than run blocking. You know, playing not in space is a lot more important than playing in space, which, you know, I, I agree he's going to be terrific at. And and I just, I, I have to... Be what I think is a very moderate voice in this thing. I'm not beating the crap out of the guy, but also, no. every time somebody reports how few sacks he's allowed, where centers don't even allow sacks generally speaking, I get upset. I don't get upset about it, but I, but I, but I think it's going to be that much harder for me to write the offensive line article this week and explain why I scored it this way. <laughs> I think I'm yeah,
3: I, and I'm ser- I'm certainly not um, in the band of people sort of <laughs> shouting. Yeah. Like I think there, are, I, I I was what sort of well aware of his limitations coming in. And actually I I was, I was one of the few people who was sort of saying, I'm not sure, like if you want Linda Bam to be the phenomenal center that he could be, I'm not sure the Ravens is the best team to be putting him on. Um, So I'm certainly kind of on that. And I, I also was one of the, I also, I feel like I have I've plenty of misses on, on draft analysis, yeah. but I feel like I'm I'm talking up my hits here a little bit. Uh, I was very high on Creed Humphrey coming out. I yeah. had Creed Humphrey very high, so uh, I, I think that that is a really interesting comparison. And um, it, yeah, I, I I think it'll be, it's a really good discussion to have. I think because I, I think you're right. There are there are there are a lot of voices out there that's, that that are, are really talking him up f- far too high um, for me. Um, and I think the the nuanced discussion about like his strengths and the things that he hasn't been as good at uh, is, is well worth having.
2: Well, hopefully we'll have multiple choices to talk chances to talk about this. And particularly you, James, I really respect your opinion on this matter. Come back, maybe in the playoffs, we'll have a chance to talk about a good playoff game against some uh nose tackle who will probably be pretty good uh and (laughs) uh, and uh, see if he handles chris jones or he handles something chris jones yeah obviously not a nose tackle but he is but he is somebody he might face on an individual play basis uh but but it'll be interesting to have that discussion again in terms of uh, uh of what's going on i'm sure over the coming years we'll we'll have that opportunity Yeah. Kevin Zeitler, another plus game here. Um, parts of three pressures allowed, six missed blocks. I want to go a little quicker here since we're, we're running short on time. Only one of his missed blocks was a loss at the line of scrimmage. So he's moving to level two. He's not failing to find a block. He had a couple of failed pulls uh, where, where he, we, he he followed the correct track, but there was nobody to block, and so he got a zero on the play. But uh, but it was not a uh, – uh, you know they weren't losses at the line of scrimmage. He, he was six of eight on his pulls. He's been doing a good job of that. The Ravens are balanced in this game in terms of pulling left and right. Uh, three blocks in level two, uh, a B overall for, for Zeitler. What did you see from him?
3: Yeah, just a, a reasonably solid game again. I, I, I think with Zeitler, we're, it, it's interesting. I, I sort of thought recently that the Ravens are getting, um, I mean, in previous, last year, the Ravens didn't get. I, I think about the, the money committed to each player. And the value that they're getting out of those players, and I feel the Ravens are getting much more value out of their big ticket players this this season. Um, Zeitler is one who's probably not quite playing up to the to the the money that they're that they're paying him. Like he's not, uh, like he's not dominant, but he's he's getting the job done. And I think they probably would take that um, the the sort of solid level of play that the Ravens are getting from him um, over the course of this season for the money they're paying um it's probably okay that it's not quite you know it's not quite elite guard play they had to they got him in free agency well it was just before free agency I think wasn't it um like hours before so they obviously had to pay a little bit more but he's he's locked down a position in the same way it's the same kind of value that they're getting from Ben Powers um just locking down one of those interior positions and providing a really solid level of play
2: Okay, well, I would agree. He's very close to Ben Powers in terms of aggregate grading for the year, and, and my system point eighty three for Powers and 0.82 for Zeitler. So they're very close. I, I'm going to take the opposite side of that with Zeitler. Zeitler's been such a low variance player, and he's been so solid. Every grade for his, the entire season is between an A and a C. There's no no fall off the table. No, he doesn't even have fall off the table games. Are like an F where you're not close to passing, and, they, and most players will toss in one of those every once in a while maybe every one season maybe every two if you're bad you know three times a season but it, it, in in zeitler's case uh he hasn't had anything close to a bad game this year and i'm just i'm i, I he is the rock this offensive line is built on if you look at them moses lots of game to game variation uh we've seen from him stanley has been great since he's come back obviously but he's but he's missed a lot of times Linderbaum's at, at up and down but you know been been good when he's been good and he's he's been not so good otherwise uh powers has been even a little more varied in terms of his results uh than than uh zeitler has even though the results are very similar powers did have only one d in the opener since then he's really been he's been he's probably been the ravens best offensive lineman since that opening game
3: yeah i I think we're i think we're agreeing in a roundabout way i've just maybe phrased it slightly differently i think you're right i think that consistent level of he he's not an he's not you know providing elite guard play but he's providing competent very solid dependable play each game um which is extremely valuable uh yeah
2: Yeah. all right fair enough uh move on to morgan moses uh had a big difference from the pff grade i saw pff gave him a really nice grade this week it didn't quite work out as well for me he had one and five six pressures that's one plus a half plus a third uh two very costly penalties um the face mask you could hear him upset on the tv broadcast did you catch that
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could, we could yeah. talk about the, this, this, I'm glad that this podcast doesn't really talk about the rest very much, but we could talk about Jerome Boga for a long yeah.
2: time. <laughs> yeah. We did. We, we did. We spent a lot of time on that in the defense. So I think we, our yeah. time is limited. We won't do that. But uh, I treated that as illegal hands to the face because his hand was on the helmet. So instead of a minus nine on that play, he got a minus six. Um, he also had a, a, an IDP, and I want to point out again to people that if if you're not if you maybe watch football a little bit or you you know you see false starts happen you see those are five yard penalties, pre snap penalties you know are a lot less serious than post snap penalties. Post snap penalties allow the defense the option to accept the play, which is huge. So that play happened to be incomplete to Ricard. They still wanted the five yards, I believe, in that case, and they took it. But if that had been a third and eight, that would have ended the drive right there. The, the, whereas if it were a false start, it would have just made it third and 13, and the Braves had gotten another chance. So uh, you, you, you got to be careful with with post-snap penalties and just just how uh, how costly they are. And Moses in particular really needs to watch himself in terms of moving downfield.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I would be with you on this one. I, I didn't think this was Moses best game by, by by distance really i i i think i think the other challenge in this game was I, I feel like possibly part of the plan to to um chip burns was was actually like it happened with Stanley quite a bit but it also happened a lot with Moses and i, I think i think the ravens felt they had to commit more resources than would have been ideal um to to helping out Moses in this in this game uh, and it and it still didn't 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 hugely help um and so yeah that that for me was a yeah i would be with you on this one
2: all right so uh five missed blocks three blocks in level two one pancake three or four on pulls one highlight um i mentioned the zone blocking thing last week so i don't think i'm going to do that again see overall in this game it looked like based on the grade that pff probably would have effectively had him at an a level um, but, uh, he's, he's been good. I, I think the Ravens have gotten their value out of him. I really, my honest opinion on Zeitler is the Ravens have really gotten their value on him. And I'm more concerned about Zeitler not playing out the last year of his contract and retiring than, uh, and, and then, then, um, uh, about them that got getting value from him this year. I, you know, he's, I don't know what his salary is exactly next year, six seven eight million whatever it might be, but he's, to me, he's clearly worth that um in terms of what he's brought to the offensive line and i would i would maybe i've got the. i may have the numbers maybe i've got the numbers wrong you know i thought
3: he was on i thought his salary was a bit more than that so maybe three I'm...
2: years 22 million okay
3: i take my my previous,
2: my previous you
3: it comment
1: right.
2: yeah <laughs> <Cheerfully
3: with Ron. laughs> okay. I honestly i thought it was more yeah. uh sort of 10 million 11 million a year um, range so that, that i would right. take that take that well back yeah
2: Okay, so it's three years, 22 and a half, actually, and it's six and a half is his base salary for next year. So, you oh, know, they're maybe,
3: absolutely getting that value. That's yeah, 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 yeah. They
2: they they will need to be. I think need, honestly, if the Ravens were to win the Super Bowl this year, a couple players are probably going to lose. They're probably going to lose Campbell. They they well might lose Zeitler, who might hang him up after this, even though Zeitler still stands to having another good contract with somebody else after this. Yeah. So it'd be a shame, but you know he he he. Hopefully that's enough to get him to play that last year of the contract. But the Ravens have been with Derek Mason, with Ed Reed, with some other players that I'm not thinking of right now have gotten into a position where they've had to Yanda to renegotiate a a, a two year deal at the end of each the last year of each to get the guy to to come back for the money. And and it's it's uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way the negotiations end up working out with Zeitler. And and frankly I don't begrudge him additional money if the if. If he wants a bump to eight million effectively or nine million for next year, I think he's worth it. Um, but but anyway, he uh, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll play for another contract and take the six and a half, and then uh, and then the Ravens can worry about signing him signing him yet another time. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, we're really late here, and I want to go in to talk about some of the skill position players. I actually think we need less time on that. Yeah. Then we need on some mailbag questions, if you don't mind. Uh completely agree. So, so talk about whoever you'd like to talk about that we maybe haven't hit on so far in terms of skill position players and what you saw.
3: Yeah, I feel like we've hit on quite a lot of the skill position players already, because we talked about Drake and Robinson in the in the um in the first in the first part. Um I think um one of the interesting things I I think to is Isaiah Likely over the mm-hmm. over the next um over the next few games to see. Uh, if he can carve out a role opposite Mark Andrews, and if the Ravens can find ways to get him involved, uh, he's clearly talented enough to to sort of be involved. But it's almost like when when Andrews is there, Andrews is getting the good routes. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's it seems uh, it seems strange. It'll be interesting to see uh, if they are able to get likely involved and, and able to have really two tight ends. Uh, and I get that what you know the Ravens are never going to see potentially you know a, a tight end at the same you know, no no one is expecting Isaiah likely to, to be at the same kind of level of production as Mark Andrews but what would be great is if he had a kind of Hayden Hurst type 2019 type value to this offense um with the with the kind of receptions he gets um and I, I, I we haven't seen that as much when Andrews has been in the lineup um and so it'd be this this would have been a good game to sort of to see him do that, I get that the Panthers were were very aggressive underneath and and possibly caught, caused some challenges there for him. But um, I haven't watched him closely enough on the All-22 to, to sort of understand uh, where we didn't see too much impact from him in this game. But I, 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 it'll be interesting. It's a good storyline for the rest of the season to see if they can get him going.
2: So what I thought was really interesting the last two weeks is not... You know, he had a breakout game against the receivers two games ago against the against Bucs. And then he had a game where he caught the touchdown pass against New Orleans, but actually didn't have that great a receiving game. He only caught one of four balls, and one of them he was juggling around in the air. And, you know, things weren't perfect in terms of of uh, how the ball was, how the how, you know, his ability to secure the catch. But what he did in both games earned him a ton more snaps, and that's the run block like we had never expected him to do. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, it, it, to me, he 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 didn't have a whole lot of run blocking opportunities in this game. In fact, he basically lost all his snaps back to Andrews, um, without there being consideration is not the right word without him retaining some for how well he had played these last two weeks. Uh, and I just you know, he started twenty two snaps. I, I I thought Andrews comes back. First of all, he's probably going to be able to pitch count. Uh uh-uh. uh He played you know all but five snaps. I want to say. And then second of all, Likely's played so well, you're going to want to rest him anyway and bring him in as a designated receiver on some downs. Um, they do have a similar role in terms of their, you know, they're both a designated receiver when they're in there, which makes it a little bit tough. But like you said, you need to find ways to get that guy in the backfield, uh, put him in motion, use him in some of the ways you might use um, an, an Oliver, who is still getting a lot of snaps. Who, where he can do a run blocking role and also be still a dangerous guy to leak out of the backfield late. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. I think get, getting him involved, it, it, it's interesting
3: because I felt like Oliver and Andrews had some had some missed blocks in this game, in the running game. Um, and so you're almost – I think you hit the nail on the head with Likely in terms of the, the improvement we've seen from him in his run blocking is – is really remarkable. I'm like it was. It was a it was a real concern that that was never going to get to a, yeah. a level where he could be on the field in the, in those kind of situations. So at this point, I'm on, I'm almost sort of saying what Why not? Like why why not try him on the field in some of those situations a bit more and get a bit more, um, yeah, get a bit more inventive with how you're using him.
2: And of course, uh, Nick Boyle is is uh not seeing the field because of these three guys who are in front of him. Oliver's playing really well and. Um, you know, he's, he's certainly been a run blocking, um, effective run blocker, you know, to, to date this year, he's, he's pass blocked as he's needed to do two, two, we have R 84 under shows up on our, 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 uh, offensive line sheet all the time, meaning he's, he's a set blocker on the right side during a pass play. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, he's, he's done a fine job. Uh, in whatever they've asked him to do. And they haven't asked him to do a lot of receiving, but even when he's done that, I think he's been reasonably good, not a big yards per target guy. And he probably won't ever be as a leak out guy. You know, no. but yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I agree. I think, I, I do think he's had a good, I think he's had a good year, Josh Oliver, which is, which is surprising. And it's also surprising that he's having the, the the impacts that he's having. He, he also is surprising that he's having the impact he's having in the, in the run game and uh, as a run blocker, Um because it, that that wasn't his get that really wasn't his game, and the Ravens have kind of turned him into that a little bit. It's it's um it's been an interesting sort of curve for him because when they picked him up from Jacksonville, I, I felt like he was a, a move guy who they were going to try and use in certain situations, and and they've sort of turned him turned him as they do with many Titans into into an all around guy.
2: How, how cool is it? How much do you trust the Ravens' development process here that they can get? You know, two different guys in the same year to basically turn around the game's blockers, and you look over the career of Andrews, a, a huge improvement in his blocking as well, uh, to to where he is right now. And obviously, Nick Boyle was a guy who came up in the system and became a one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. Uh, it's it's a embarrassment of riches at the position, and, and it's really the Ravens last position now that where they really have a true embarrassment of riches they have they have more than they can handle at outside linebacker but I don't feel like they're embarrassed by it at safety they had four and now they're down to two so that went away uh so you can you can have it not occur anymore but uh but they really have just an absurd amount of riches at tight end and and fully justifying the heaviest packages in recent NFL history I don't know if you've been following that but the 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 only The 1999—sorry, the 2019 Vikings are the only team in the last six years uh, to play anywhere near as heavy, and they played less than two heavies per play. The Ravens right now, including tight ends, fullback, and six offensive linemen, are over 2.2 heavies per play, which would be, I think, the heaviest in decades, although I don't have the information to go back and check it.
3: Well, I'm just I'm just waiting for the and maybe this has been done before, so maybe I'm wrong with this, but waiting for the first ever uh, five wide with all tight yeah, ends go. when Charlie <laughs> gets up.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> so I we've we've never I know we've never had it on the score sheet. A a uh it would be let's see it's wide receiver wide receiver running back. Sorry, wide receiver tight end running back as we do it. So we haven't had a 0-50. We have this year had zero forty ones on a couple occasions. So there's fourteen personnel where they've been uh yeah. been down on the goal line. But yeah, you're right. That would be that would be something. <laughs> uh I I will maybe hit on one other player who had kind of a disappointing game. That's James Prochet. Uh the Ravens only dressed four wide receivers. Um they ran a fair amount of lighter personnel packages for them in this game still use 2.17 heavies per play but that's light for the Ravens. They <laughs> so they had a chance to get him on the field and they didn't really do it. And we did get on he had a he had a, a bad holding penalty. Uh, so, you know, those combination of factors, I don't think are going to help him make an impact soon.
3: No, I agree. Um, and it's, a it's a, Here we go. I can talk actually about a miss here because I was extremely high on Prochet coming out. Um, I, uh, it t- t- taught me not, not to bet too heavily on on um, on exceptions in terms of athletic ability, because uh, Prochet was always going to need to really overcome the odds to be a successful receiver in the NFL. Um, I feel he had all the skills needed, but just didn't. He doesn't have the juice necessarily, and and that has borne itself out. And it's it's a it's concerning that he hasn't hasn't been able to carve out a role in this offense, um, and and still 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 struggles in games like this. Um, the, the other guy I wanted to quickly touch on was um, was Duvernay as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think people have you know I see a lot of calls for Duvernay to to have more touches and to get and to do more. I, I I think the the thing I think people need to understand is that defenses also know that that Devin Duvernay is a huge weapon for the Ravens. He is somebody that they're going to try and get the ball to, um, and. I what I've seen in recent weeks is defense is keying on DuVernay massively um, and diverting a lot of their resources towards him. And it's why we've seen actually an increase in DuVernay as a as a diversionary tactic um for the Ravens. They've been using him as a decoy um quite a lot in these games. Uh, but it it's it's not been tenable to get him the ball in some of these games. Uh and so I I I would like to see them manufacture some more touches for him and to get him the ball. But I also don't want to manufacture touches for him that are completely and utterly pointless because the defense is going to blow that play up.
2: Yeah. And and I could, I could not agree more with that statement. And, And there's a couple of ways you can get him the ball that don't really help. One is if you get him the ball without space, or without an opportunity for there to be space that sets you and if you look at Hollywood Browns targets down the stretch particularly when Huntley was at quarterback last year you saw a lot of very short throws very short um uh yards per target in terms of his gains he had, he had I think he had a game where he had 14 targets for 43 yards and you know if if you're going to throw the ball 5 yards to Duvernay you might he's a tough dude but you might get him killed in terms of the hits he'll take uh, downhill from from cornerbacks and from safeties and uh, you know w- what he would do with that, but you're you're also not going to get Duvernay esque yak on plays like that. You need to if if you want to get Duvernay the best chances, you've got to throw him wide receiver screens. The Ravens have the personnel to block those right now. These the, all these tight ends, they're on the field. They're they're all good at at making blocks downfield. Robinson has proved to be pretty good, I think, at blocking downfield, which I've been really happy about. So they've got guys who can do that. Um, it's, it's just, you need to, you need to get him opportunities. Like you get Ray Rice opportunities, not, not like you uh, you would get Hollywood Brown opportunities. Cause he's not, he's not the ideal guy, uh, for the, for that. The other thing I would like to see with DuVernay more is I'm using him in the backfield, more snaps per game. And they've done it. I think once this season, I'd like to see once per game in the backfield. That's that'd be my target amount. And that could be three, one game and it can be zero for two weeks after that. But, but if they did it once per game, then I think that would remain on other, Defensive coordinators radar such that it makes their game planning process a little more difficult. And, hey, when they do run it, they'll probably have four plays they can run off that Duvernay in the backfield option, and they'll only have one or two pick for one week. But they'll they'll be able to do different things, and offensive coordinators then have that much more to worry. Sorry, defensive coordinators have that much more to worry about.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah.
2: All right. All right. I, I see the time behind you. Tell me if uh, wh- where your uh, where your stop is. Can we do the mailbag or oh, MVP? We so- can-
3: yeah yeah let's do let's do it it's it's yeah yeah I, for anybody people won't be able to see the video i have a very passive aggressively massive clock behind me which is which is ticking down for ken to to, to finish the no we,
2: we're uh we're on your time schedule here and and you and i this one of the things we could probably talk for six hours about football yeah, and, and yeah. i think people get that let's talk mvps first from the game do you have a three to one list of mvps ready to go
3: um, so yeah, for me, I think in this game, I, I, I don't normally do this, but for me, actually it's, it's Lamar, um, because of the, because of the thing I mentioned right at the start of our first, of our first episode, um, which is that I felt like I saw him go through, like go through, do some of the things that I. We've talked to in this episode about me sort of looking at things from a development perspective. And I really liked what I saw from Lamar in this game in terms of going through his progressions, making the right reads, making consistently accurate throws. It's a bit of a weird one to choose um, because uh, it wasn't necessarily a particularly efficient game from him, but I don't think that was anything to do with him. Um, and I really liked the, the 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 job he did in this game of of managing the game uh, and uh, and tr- also as we talked about in, in episode one, trusting um, a receiver that he hasn't shown much trust in before um, and getting him the ball quite a lot. So I I, I liked the game from Lamar today.
2: Okay, well, that's certainly a, a solid pick. He's your number three guy, right? Yeah. Okay, so my number three guy is Kevin Zeitler. Uh just continues to be the rock. We've talked about that enough, I think, in this show that we don't need to go more into that, but uh very happy with this play. And you know, when a, when a lineman's getting picked third, that uh it's not a great day for the skill position players, which I think is a, a fair statement.
3: Yeah, no, I I
2: I I think so too. I think my um
3: number two guy uh was um uh, Ronnie Stanley in this game, uh, who I thought had uh, another really good game, and again I'm I'm kind of looking at um, like the development. I, I, we did talk a little bit about some some little sort of deficiency in the run game a little bit, but um, you know as you've mentioned loads of times, pass protection the most important part of the of the game, and he's 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 continually providing um, a high level of play there, and hopefully that injury is not a long one.
2: It was a close call for me whether between Stanley and Zeitler for number three. I gave it to Zeitler. My number two guy is Ben Powers. And uh, just continuing an outstanding season here in terms of what he's been doing. And the fact that he's playing at the same level as Zeitler over the course of the whole year is something Ravens fans should really, um, you know, be looking at and be very happy about. Because Zeitler certainly, you know, he's, he's the rock and Powers is almost as good or, or, or basically 100 percent as good this year. Um, great spot for him. Great development coming just at the right time in his career. Couldn't be happier
3: yeah and so i'm gonna my, my issue is i think i may have i may have overlooked someone who is your number one uh that i've forgotten about but uh mine but i'm so obsessed with the offensive line so my number one guy would was gonna be powers for this game okay. um because i did i do feel like for the same reasons we talked about linda Baum having to deal with Derek brown powers also as you rightly pointed out also had to deal with Derek brown in this game um and, and did, a, did, a, did a good job i i, I just i yeah, I thought this was a really good game for him, and and he he would be my number one for
2: this game. Oh, okay, high praise. Uh, my number one guy is, as you can probably guess, is Demarcus Robinson, and uh, nine catches on on nine throws. And there's you can't do it much better. He was getting open. Lamar was getting him the football, and really nice to see trust building there. He, obviously, before this game, Robinson did not have that many total targets. I'm going to look this up, even at the cost of some time here, but uh his total targets before coming into this game uh were only 29 so he had had nine more almost a third of what he had before and he's now 25 out of 38 after this game up to up to about a 66 percent that's about as high as he's ever been in his career and 7.4 yards per target which is not as high as he's been at at times past in his career but is equivalent to his career in kansas city so uh uh, you know, it's very, very solid game and and I think that connection, if it continues to pay off at anything like what it paid off in this game, is gonna be very valuable to the Ravens. Yeah,
3: I completely agree. I I would endorse your list. I totally definitely uh overlook Marcus Robertson <laughs> with my list.
2: All right, let's uh let's go to the mailbag really quickly because we had a couple of great questions in there, and I want to make sure these get taken care of. We go to the prop appropriate thing here. We'll, we'll we'll start start with uh um uh this one here's here's a good one from Tammy Farmer uh at TCU Tammy it says what three things do the Ravens need to do to get the offense back on track I know losing Bateman hurts but is it hard to believe we can't find a way to overcome that so I th- I think they can overcome it it's it's going to be
3: I, I I think I think we saw the blueprint against the New Orleans Saints for for how this offense can overcome the loss of Bateman but I also think that was a weird game with, without without Mark Andrews. So it, it's an interesting it's an interesting one. We had the conversation in the first episode about what what is better for 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 the Ravens offense going forward. Is it spreading the ball around or finding a couple of targets that they're able to to go to a bit more a bit more regularly? Um, I think the, the offense let's 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 be frank the ravens can win games without the offense playing at the same level as it was when it had bateman because this defense is improving and they are getting more and more guys back to the point where they are like really gonna i think take off towards the end of the season and there's still this kind of malaise in the NFL that you you can't win with defense, and and you're going to need to score 53 points when you play the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs in January. I'm not sure that is necessarily the case. I think there are other ways to do it, um, and I think this Ravens defense can help the the offense um, from that perspective. I, I, but I do think there is there is more efficiency to be had within this offense, and I and I think the the thing we touched on earlier is the the return of running backs who understand this scheme um, and and have and are dynamic enough, especially Dobbins, like Dobbins really changes the game for this offense in terms of the things they can do schematically in the running game. So uh, there is a there is a game changer that could come back that could could turn this offense at least sort of towards the the level that we would want to see from them from an efficiency standpoint.
2: I, I like that point. I'll, I'll layer in one because I think getting back to better red zone efficiency is a big part. This this team has the tight ends to to yeah. to play in the red zone. They have other receivers like Duvernay and and Robinson really who've proven to be able to get open in in the red zone. They just need to get Lamar moving laterally on the line of scrimmage and extending plays again in that red zone. It would be my feeling about it um, to to find the uh, the best reads and and get some. Direct linear throws, not fades, and that's never been the Ravens' game. So I don't have a fear that they'll all of a sudden go to it like they did in the Flacco era, and all of the quarterbacks before him. A very high percentage of fades in the in the red zone. Uh, but I think you know it, it's important that they get Lamar back to what was going on in 2019 and and, and 20 for that matter in terms of throwing line drives or or, or direct passes to open receivers in with with windows that uh, that are visible. We got more. Uh, let's move on. This is a good one from Ravens, at Ravens Andrew it says, I missed the podcast, but question for y'all, since the Ravens kind of suck at running the ball out of heavy packages anyway, should they at least try to play more 11? I mean, what's the point of these heavy sets? Good question. Good question. Do you want to say that one first? No, you take
3: it. <laughs> I think, um, so yeah, the, uh, so this one for me, I the, the challenge really is, is, is personnel in 11. I'm not convinced that 11 is going to be more effective than, than heavy personnel in terms of running the ball. Like the, the the Ravens don't really have the threats in 11 personnel to, to really stretch a defense. Like it just, they just don't have it. They don't have the guys um and when when you don't respect uh when you don't respect a receipt so often defenses when you when they are thinking about preparing for offenses in this league they are thinking about placing their bets in the places that are most likely to get them out with a with a win and if you go in with too heavy an 11 personnel strategy de- you're just making it easy for defensive coordinators of where they place their bets they're just not going to respect your passing game yeah. um And so I'm not convinced that we would be able to run the ball better out of 11 personnel. The other thing about 11 personnel is the reason why it works for some offenses is because they have guys they have freakish guys like it works it works for the rams on the super bowl run because they've got loads of condensed formations which is not how the ravens run their offense um loads of condensed formations with cooper cop who's an absolute freak who's a who's a huge the, the most dangerous receiver in the nfl and also one of the best blockers in the nfl from the receiver position so you just it, the ravens don't have the horses to get it done i don't think
2: Yeah, I I would agree, and and you know the Ravens choose to play point of attack football, which means they want to use their motion on a tight end. They want to counter a lot. They they want to spread the line of scrimmage horizontally rather than more. They don't not exclusively to this, but they 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 more want to spread the line of scrimmage horizontally, spread that defense, than they want to spread the defense vertically in some ways, and part of that. Uh, is the use of Lamar Jackson. I think if you went to 11 personnel, you'd probably reduce the effectiveness of Lamar Jackson in terms of how he can read and run. Um, and and it's just nice to have point of attack, moving guards, moving linebackers. Anytime a player moves, it's an additional input for the Lamar reading machine to figure out where is this defense weak and can I get to that spot or can my running back do it? Uh, so I I just, I, I think that's, that's, part of the reason why we continue to see heavy packages and it's not like they're failing i mean the ravens are you know doing a very good job of running for yards per carry that's not the issue at all um it's just there are games like this and i think it's unfair to judge it kind of coming out of this panthers game where defense the defense was especially condensed by the conditions yeah i will make it be one more here because this question i like so much Aiden, and this is at FTSTN. Okay, I can't even read this, but Aiden says Lamar had a sub 7 A dot in three of the last four games, basically since Bateman was out. On Sunday, the offense had one skill guy playing who ran a sub 455. Don't know if that's true because I think Duvernay and Hill are both sub 455 guys, but that's okay. Uh, what is your level of concern about how slow this offense is with no downfield threat? It's fallen off efficiency-wise in recent weeks. By the way, excellent question, and this is so well researched; it's it's almost its own answer in some ways. But <laughs> I, I, you're you are again the guest. Let's hear your response to that.
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Ken. The the question's great. I, I think um, so. I am concerned. I think we've talked about it. we touched on it. I am concerned about this offense being able to get downfield. I'm concerned about it most when the Ravens come up against uh, like. <laughs> frankly, when the Ravens come up again, if the Ravens come up against Buffalo in the playoffs, like this is, this is where I am most concerned about it. That they, I think can, and Miami actually is the other defense that I'm concerned about in the playoffs. Um, I, I, I think that, I think they can, I think they can get back to an efficiency that they can live with. I think, it, again, it goes back to the point I made earlier about the defense and the, the raised efficiency level of that, of that defense. I, I think they can get back to it. So one of the things I would say in terms of this, because I went and looked at the DVOA numbers, the Ravens don't have to be a um, top, don't have to be a top five passing efficiency offense to be a top ten offense in general in terms of efficiency. Oh, of course not. Yeah. And and that's the thing I, I, I that I would say is that I think they can get back to a level in terms of running the running the football that allows them to be an efficient offense, um, and allows them to be efficient enough to win games in January, which is what which is the the concern we all have with this team, really, because I, like we talked talked about all the way through ad nauseum through the through the through the podcasts like we're not particularly worried about this stretch run it's can they win in january and they are going to have to find some semblance of a deep passing game it doesn't need to be an uh, an all singing or dancing deep passing game but it does need to be one or two completions per game even if it's like you said three in three and one and not in a, not not in a couple of games but they need to find something that makes makes those defenses respect them on that in that regard yeah
2: Absolutely, I think. I think if if the Ravens have a successful deep postseason run, it will largely be defensive related. Anyway, you know the offense will do what it needs to do, hopefully, and and the defense will play at the level we hope it will play the rest of the year. And that's incredible given the difference in Devoe between these two teams now, because the Ravens are dead average in the league. In EPA per play, run and pass given up by the defense, that ain't where it's going to end up, folks. This this defense is way too talented to not take a big step forward against this current set of opponents they have on on the slate. So it'd be big disappointment if they don't uh, if they don't move forward. But if if I I, I one I, sorry if you want to respond to that, I have one more point to make. No, no, you go, you go. Okay. So the other thing I want to say about winning in January is there's a good chance that they'll go and face a Buffalo team, a Miami team, or some other team who can put four very credible receiving threats, whether that's three and one tight end or four and zero in the case of Buffalo, potentially on the field at the same time. I think there's a good chance the Ravens could lose that game. And it won't be a case of the Ravens aren't playing, you know, NFL style football and they can't put three or four wide receivers on the field. The problem will actually be the bills will find a way to beat the Ravens defense that nobody else has by playing 10 personnel. And the Ravens real big weaknesses here are at the third cornerback, but what? Who the hell is the fourth cornerback? <laughs> you know, if, if they, have, they have to do that. So, if they have to have Pepe and Brandon Stevens on the field at the same time with with Humphrey and and uh, and Peters, that will significantly make this defense weaker, particularly in terms of having to take a linebacker off, a defensive lineman, whoever they take off. Honestly, um, they don't present the the, the kind of defensive uh, uh, effectiveness um, with that four corner look. So th- th- this is the big concern for me, and
3: with the three and four seed, actually, that the four seed could end up playing in the wild card round one, either Buffalo or Miami, who doesn't win that, who whoever doesn't win that, um, doesn't win that division. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm petrified of both of those teams for the exact reason you just you have just laid out, Ken. I think the other thing I would just say in response to the question um, is that this team does have an X factor, um. And that's 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 the quarterback that's Lamar Jackson, like we have not in these last few games, maybe you've forgotten like he he can take over a game and and win it by himself um and he hasn't had to do it in the last few games and and I'm glad that he's. He's able to play within himself and to make those reads and to, to do the things we want to see from him those mundane things but I also know that he can be special and he can be special on a run in january um uh so i i, I feel like there is an x factor there that could if the if the ravens if the ravens offense isn't quite as efficient as, as we need it to be the ravens defense has a little bit of struggle there's still that x factor there that 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 could could be a a, a win all card.
2: We saw, certainly saw in the game they did win at Tennessee in in 2020 that Lamar Lamar's run really electrified that team into a big second half run. I'm not saying it was all Lamar, but that was a that was a nice piece of it right there. Uh, James, just fantastic talking football with you. Love having yawn. We could talk. We could go for hours, as I say, but we have to call it here. Uh, one more time, where folks can find you on Twitter and and find your uh, website.
3: Yeah, absolute pleasure as well, Ken. Uh, love talking ball with you. Uh, the uh, You can find me on Twitter at NFL Ogden. Um, you can find me on Russell Street Report and uh, also on my own site, redstarbaltimore.com.
2: All right, outstanding. Other folks out there, you know to hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. If you have that film study short idea, that's great. If you want to uh, review the podcast, we always appreciate that. And one other thing I'm asking people to do, and if you stayed this late, you're probably a good fan of the show. Um, try and get one other person, maybe at your work, maybe somewhere else to give this podcast a try. It is hard to expand listenership a lot of the time. Uh, we're doing well, and and we're at a point maybe that that we need to really help uh, find some additional people for that. And I'd, I'd, I'd really appreciate anybody else you'll tell about the podcast and uh, get them to give it a try. James, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.